Hello there, you're listening to the Park Crush Podcast. This is a Thing Park Podcast. I'm Tom. Joining me as ever is Josh. Hello there. Hello there, Josh. How's it going? Good, thank you. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. I think you've had the more exciting week. I understand. Oh. I understand. You have been jabbed or are about to be jabbed, have been told you can be jabbed. Uh as we are recording this, I am uh, about to be jabbed as this goes out. Uh, I probably will have, as you're listening to this, listeners, I probably will have already been jabbed. Very exciting. Yes. Very exciting indeed. Any sort of audio connection problems that we've had during this past year of remote podcasting should be completely and utterly cleaned up when we're both rocking the very, very best network infrastructure that you can possibly get in mm. our veins mobile so, 5g that's what you want absolutely absolutely very very exciting so yes. congrats josh uh, uh yeah it's, it's there, there, there is a underlying tones there of apparently i have underlying health conditions that i wasn't aware of but there well, you I guess, go i guess you're in the you're in the same boat as me in that in that case then because yes. i very much felt the same way which is you know got a text saying oh you're vulnerable <laughs> you need a vaccine. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> this might have been. If I genuinely am vulnerable, this would have been nice to know maybe a year ago. Yeah. But it's um, all right. You know, it's fine. Well, have, better late than never. I'll you, have the vaccine, I guess. And You, um, you say uh, about a year ago, uh, today as we're recording this, I've been working from home for exactly a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that, must be, that must have been quite a profound moment when... When you realise that that was the case, uh, yeah, this this week has been uh, weird. What just just because of the anniversary? Yeah, it's just been like else. I can't believe it. I couldn't been in uh, stunned stunned mode all week. Just like I can't believe it. I'm just scrolling back through. You've you've made me want to check this. I'm just scrolling back through episodes of the Park Rush podcast here, and seeing when was the first podcast we that was recorded remotely and if i'm right seems like it was episode 73 which was march 22nd 2020 it was a bumper special hour three minutes goodness me what a treat what an absolute treat and uh, the episode description here says social distancing means we will be recording via skype for the foreseeable future and there are a few audio quirks this week that we hope to get ironed out for next time don't think we did, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we we came up apparently, allegedly, with some ideas for how to bring some of the theme park magic home while the likes of Disney World and Universal are shut. Yes. So I, whether we succeeded on that, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen. But that was March twenty second. So yeah, we're coming up on a year. I guess it will be next week's episode. Will be pretty much a year of remote podcasting, which is crazy. Uh yeah, I guess so. Yeah madness yeah uh, but we're not recording via skype anymore that that episode description is is out of date we are we do now record via discord not a sponsor not a sponsor so there we go i guess you know if all restrictions are to be dropped by sort of mid to late june if that if we stick to that then there you go that should be when podcasting in person returns but We'll, we'll wait and see. Yes. We'll wait and see. Fingers crossed. Uh, anyway, uh, quite a, once again, Josh, 
a quite a big week of theme park news considering a lot of theme parks are still closed i am yes. kind of consistently surprised by how much we have to talk about each week but the, you know the theme parks aren't letting us down they keep on delivering i suppose yeah big wheels keep on rolling indeed and you know a few weeks ago we were able to speak quite positively, quite optimistically about the London Resort, which was maybe one of the first times in about eight years that anyone was speaking optimistically about that thing. So it seems yes. fitting to have come potentially brought crashing back down to earth with a story about how it's been thrown into doubt by some bureaucracy. <laughs> It's been too long since I had a bureaucracy threatened London resort story to talk about, but here we here we go. We finally have another one. What, so what I season? guess just to remind people, it was a few weeks ago, I think it was sort of late January, London Resort was given permission to seek planning permission was basically what it boiled down to, but it was considered quite a big sort of symbolic step forward for that project, you know, giving it a bit more of a concrete sense of potential yes. and just this kind of idea but this week we had the uh, kind of out of nowhere headline that the area that the park has been earmarked for which is called the Swanscombe Peninsula has been granted protected status essentially by uh, Natural England who are responsible for these things and this is because of the wildlife that calls the Swanscombe Peninsula home yes and it basically means that any development plans for a for an area specified as being uh, protected needs to take these things into account and can basically make the process maybe a bit more difficult. Now, as far as I could tell from all the planning documents that we've read over the year, last year or so, the the fact that there is wildlife, protected wildlife that lives on the Swanscombe Peninsula has been taken into account by the development plans for the London Resort. So I'm not actually sure that this hugely changes anything. I think it might be just more of a symbolic thing, really. And we've known all along that there are certain people that oppose this. And whether or not yeah. this particular move makes a whole lot of difference, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, so, uh, like you said, the, it's become a site of special scientific interest. And it's, it's like my bedroom. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, RSPB and Bug Life, which I've never heard of. Um, it's a Pixar uh, film. Yes. Uh, apparently, uh, yeah, Disney had come out and said, no, you can't build here. <laughs> uh, and yes. uh, I think it was another charity have all joined together, clubbed together to try and stop this from being built to save the spiders and the birds, I guess, because RSPB are birds. And mm. it, it very much seems like they weren't that bothered about it being a site of special scientific interest until uh, someone came out and went, oh, we're going to build there. And then we went, wait, hang on. Uh, that's our, that's our yeah. land. Well, was this not a very similar problem that the the potential Universal London project ran up against, that which was going to be built on the other side of the river in Essex? And that was something that was being sort of kicked around in the, was it the 80s and the early 90s before yeah. that all fell apart? Very much so. Did that not come up against a very similar problem? Wildlife, yes. these wildlife nerds. Yeah, absolutely. That that was a very much a problem. Uh, Disney World runs up against this problem regularly. That's why they have this buying land rule, where 
for every bit of land that they build on, they have to purchase land elsewhere uh, for uh, wildlife to live on, uh, and that sort of thing. So um, it's a very common problem, com uh, common thing, I guess, uh, certainly around marshland and sort of water areas because you get a, such a variety of um, life in these areas where... It, but it's also land that no one else wants to build on, so it's relatively cheap. So that's when you mm. get these these issues arising. So I guess, I mean, I remember reading lots of stories going back years about how this site in particular was home to rare species, such as a, a form of jumping spider, which, you know, I don't like spiders, so frankly I, I consider it a, a very much a benefit of, <laughs> of this theme park project that we might get to kill a load of them. Yeah. <laughs> To be, to be brutally honest, but the I, I guess you know for balance, here's a quote. Here's a quote from Emma Marsh of the RSPB, which is the was it the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, I believe is yes, uh, its full name, and uh, she says this is unashamedly good news, and we applaud this step by Natural England. Recognition as an SSSI should end any debate about developing a theme park here. The focus should immediately turn to how Swanscombe marshes can be effectively managed and monitored so that the species and habitats continue to thrive with their newfound status. So uh, there you go. There you go. Yes, and I that mean, is um, a much better and a more professionally put quote than from the bug life guy who described it as a fun fair. <laughs> I, I love, I do, I, I must admit, there is part of me throughout all this that has loved the, the the kind of disparaging nature of so many of the opposition comments to this park, just like the utter contempt that they clearly hold fun in. <laughs> yeah. You mean people want to have fun here? God. <laughs> and no, thanks. These people need to take a long, hard look at themselves. I, I really like the argument they always have is, but what about these lovely marshland areas that people can walk through? It's like, who the hell wants to walk through a marsh, for Christ's sake? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't I, I don't want to demean them too much. and I, I don't want to try and pretend that their arguments aren't important. And, of course, they should be taken into account. But I do think that there is... It's kind of the way I... It's like I, I told you before we started recording, I've been clearing out my room a bit this week. And sometimes, you know, there have been a few occasions where I have found something in a drawer that I'd forgotten that I had. And I look at it longingly and think, oh, I might want this one day. This is actually quite cool. And then another side of me has got to be like slap me into shape and be like, no, you idiot. It's been in the bottom of a drawer for maybe a decade. Clearly, yeah. you don't actually care about it. Throw it away. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> this is like... These people that are like, these marshes, people like to walk through them. And it's like, do they though? Or are you just saying that because this whole theme park thing has reminded you that the marshes even exist? Yeah. They're quite like kind remote of marshes vibe, as I well. Get. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't I've know. seen nicer I, places to walk through personally. But um, yeah, I'm sure they're like, yeah, like, like a theme park. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I do get it. And I, I think that there are certain concerns surrounding this that are very much important to take into account i think the 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 infrastructure of the local area can it support a project like this that's that's something that i can appreciate i think even more than this and it sounds weird for someone of my generation to sound like they're poo-pooing environmental concerns because we're kind of meant to be more on top of this sort of thing and but i don't know i i, I just feel like i i, I do want to take Pajabo and his team 
at, at face value when they say that they, they genuinely are taking this kind of thing into account and that they that there will be elements of this land that they buy for this thing part that they do maintain as a kind of protected natural environment. But I don't know. It, it feels to me like bureaucracy that if there is a real will to get this project done, it will be overcome fairly easily, actually. I yeah. think, though, if the project does fall apart, it will be for other reasons. And this might be held up as a huge success for these environmental campaigners. But I think it's more likely that there are other things that stop this happening than, you know, people wanting to pre protect some spiders. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, certainly in the wake of obviously Brexit and, and now coronavirus, um, I think that this project is quite important for the region uh, in terms of jobs and kind of the, uh, rejuvenating the economy a little bit in, in this area. So I, I very much don't see it being held up uh, via any other bureaucracy. If this, you know, this uh, SSSI allows, means that their promises to uh, develop the uh, marshland in such a way that is beneficial for the animals uh, is, uh, is a stronger focus, then I think that's great. You know, get these animals protected is really good. Um, so hopefully... This just means that there's a stronger emphasis on making sure that uh, the work that's done there gets done correctly and helps these animals thrive. But I, I very much don't see it holding up the project as a whole. And if it does get held up, it'll be for uh, more likely to be monetary reasons than anything else. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Maybe we should get the bug life guy on the podcast for the, for a more balanced view on this. We should talk to him, see what he has to say. <sighs> Can we get the RSPB lady on instead? <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see what strings I can pull. But the I did like that the first sort of response to this from the London Resort was just a tweet from Paja Bow, you know, oh, yeah. which I saw very much as just treating the whole thing with the disdain that they clearly think it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a four-line tweet. Like, yeah, whatever, lads. I don't actually care. But there is a fuller Paja Bow quote in this article from Kent Online. I'll just read through it. He says, The challenges presented by the site are not unusual for major brownfield reclamations. The project will, of course, continue. This is just another issue to address in the long history of this project. Sustainability is a green thread throughout the London Resort proposals, and we're very proud of that. We have demonstrated across thousands of pages within our application our vision to deliver a net gain in biodiversity and our commitment to enhancing and managing habitats, an investment that runs into millions because we believe in sustainability and in our role as custodians of the environment. That's a pretty cool job title, to be fair. Yeah, uh, I, I think he's very much saying... Custodian of the environment. He, he's, he, he comes across to me a little bit like, you guys didn't even read what we put out, did you? <laughs> yeah. Did you even do the reading? This yeah. is like turning up to you know university seminar, having read the Spark Notes version of what you were actually supposed to read. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the cover. We what more shown... do I need? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I read the blurb. We have shown how we plan to transform a contam contaminated former industrial site through this exceptional once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, an opportunity which will bring thousands of jobs, generate substantial economic growth and boost tourism with the UK's first world-class theme park resort. He's just throwing major shade at all the other theme parks <laughs> in the country there. No one knows more about the land than us because we have been surveying and monitoring it since 2012. We are the ones who have found and identified every species. We have shared our reports and we are working closely with Natural England to identify the right ecological solutions to deliver this grand project. The London Resort looks forward to the examination led by the Planning Inspectorate and the decision of the Secretary of State. 
bullish, I think, is how you would describe that statement. There. Yeah, don't get between a Frenchman and his theme park. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's quite it's been quite nice actually because I think broad oh, something I should have done actually before I close that tab. Let me reopen it because I do very much enjoy reading the comments on stories like this because very rarely are there any people in them that are happy when something uh, about about the theme park. It's normally it's normally people that are completely up in arms. Goodness me, this website is horrendous. This, I can't find the comments. Here we go. Here we go. Here's some here. Uh, uh, don't mind me says I'm going to read all this this is quite long is. Uh, no uh, who who can really say they are surprised how many people actually knew about this site until anyone wanted to build on it uh, true. Yeah, fair enough that's similar to what we just said to be fair uh, oh, someone here this is classic hopefully one of the fi- uh, that person by the way who seems to have written quite a long soliloquy about how he is you know actually maybe in favour of this does he's seem... got minus 23 votes on his comment classic. so people yeah classic uh, someone else says hopefully one of the final nails in the coffin of the london resort brexit has surely made its economic model unfeasible anyway plus nine um, north kent does not need this thing park yada 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 plus 23 uh, this is just a way to make money for the brain dead plus 15 that sorry that um that one north kent does not need a thing park the next line is the halo effect of london keep jobs will keep the local population in jobs but like not mm. all of kent can work in london you need you yeah. need local jobs of different local differing jobs for different people mm. um and it's going to be it's like 40 odd thousand jobs while in construction and eighteen thousand once it's built like it's i think it's quite a lot of jobs for the north kent area yeah uh this what this comment's quite fun they should rewild the site and make it a safari park, <laughs> a British version of Oostwaderspläschen, which I've just googled. And to be fair, the guy's got the spelling spot on. Fair. It's a nature reserve in the Netherlands. I think actually, yeah, I, I think towards the uh, around this time last year, actually, when our Japan trip had been cancelled, and I was like, can I squeeze in a sort of theme park centric trip before the world goes to hell? And in hindsight, I'm glad that I didn't, obviously, because the world had kind of already gone to hell. We just didn't quite know it yet. Yes. But I was looking into like a very sort of like a two to three day trip on the Eurostar to the Netherlands, potentially, and maybe going and checking out uh, Efteling and that kind of thing. And I think actually having a look at this, Oostwaderspläschen might have been something that I was looking at as a potential trip as well, because it did look quite nice as a as far as nature reserves go. But anyway, I like the idea of a safari park in Dartford. That's not something I've ever considered as being particularly... Dartford is a safari park. Certainly after certain hours, you're right. Uh, but he, he said, uh, of the of his safari park idea, he says, I'm sure more people would visit that than a loose women roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite fun. Loose women being... there is kind. Of, I'm sure there's an equivalent of loose women in the in america i think it's that actually you could argue loose women is like a more conservative uh less liberal version of that show that whoopi goldberg does in america you know it's just loads of middle-aged women talking about everyday issues yeah it's, it's a bizarre show that's the show is that not the show where harvey swore on it ha- you're gonna have to help sorry listeners out on um, this one josh harvey is uh, Harvey Price is Katie Price's son. Uh, Katie Price is predominantly famous in the UK because uh, she was a uh, model called Jordan. Uh, but her her son has some uh, disabilities, 
uh, um, and Katie, she she brought her son onto the show, and she was like, "What would you say to bullies if uh, someone was bullying you?" And he, and he said, "F off, you see." <laughs> Live on TV, it was quite. It was good TV, great. great TV. It was. It was. Anyway, so uh, another twist in the long running tale of the London Resort, and we'll watch it with great interest to see what comes of it. Josh, if you had to call it now. What happens here? What happens is does Pajabo get his way? He seems like a man on a mission to me. Uh, yes. Uh, let's put it this way: uh, if it becomes a housing estate, I think that's worse for the uh, nature reserve. Uh, I think you're. I think you're probably right. Actually, uh, I think you are genuinely. I think a theme park because is, is much better for for because it's not going to become there. wildlife reserve. Like that is a delusion. Yes. There's um, there's no appetite for that. So it's going to get built on. That is, you know, at some point in the next 20 years, it will be built on. For sure. What is best for, if if you genuinely care about it as a nature reserve, I think there is a case to be made that a, a, a project where you have a, someone ultimately taking responsibility for the land uh, and, and, and almost having a sort of uh, a contractual uh, sort of planning, maybe even government imposed obligation to protect uh, at least a, you know, a, a decent, section of it as an environmental pursuit that might well be better for it than yeah if you build a housing estate on it then you're kind of almost leaving it to the people that live there and i don't know you walk around the local area and see how much blimmin litter people just leave around i mean people i've done more walking around my local area in the last year than probably the previous 10 years combined (laughs) and it's just so depressing you think why do people do this it's yeah the, the the argument people will make is there aren't enough bins and it's like okay maybe you're right maybe it would be maybe there are not enough bins but that's not an excuse to just chuck your it's, stuff um, on the floor just carry it around a bit longer it's not a huge hardship it's a classic walt disney line right about bins is there there's a classic walt disney line about bins yeah he um <sighs> Something I can't. Remember, I think it was Walt Disney anyway. But basically, there's a bin every so often because uh, he 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 was at a theme park one day and he saw that people were littering and it and it's because there wasn't enough bins and it's and it was like you need a bin every uh, so often so that people uh, won't litter. So it's like every twelve steps or something like that. Right. Which is why there's so many bins. Uh, well, you know, Disney. Josh, I'm reminded of that Star Wars quote, which is something along the lines of hope is like the sun. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And I feel much the same way about bins. And just because you, you might not be able to see a bin right now doesn't mean there might not be one around the corner. And therefore, hold on to your rubbish. <laughs> That's the most profound thing anyone has said about a bin. I'm actually quite proud. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't get, anyway. you can't get better than that. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Right, speaking of Disney, I guess we'll move on from the London Resort. There's been some Disney news from across the Disney spectrum of mm. news. We've got California news, we've got Florida news, and we've got Paris news. Where should we start? Where should we start? Oh, I think we should uh, start close to home and then go further away. All right, all right. So Disneyland Paris then. Uh, former hunting ground of one Pajabot back in the Euro Disney days. Uh, Disneyland Paris has been closed 
I can't remember when it last closed, but it's been one of these sort of yo-yo parks over the past year. It's been it's closed and it came back, then it closed and it came back. It's been closed, I think, since about November, if I if I if I remember correctly. And they've yeah, they've similar. set a few dates for its potential comeback. The most recent of which was the second of April, but this week they've said that that's now not going to happen due to prevailing conditions and travel restrictions across Europe. There has yes. been a lot of coverage, certainly in this country, about the struggles the EU have had with rolling out the vaccines. Vaccine scepticism seems higher in certain European countries than other countries around the world. There's definitely been a lot of politicisation around certain vaccines as well. I think that you know the British press have taken great joy in the struggles of the e EU, frankly, on the vaccine front, because it's been seen as some sort of vindication of Brexit that we've man you know, we're managing our own vaccine affairs and getting it pretty spot on. Whereas I think bureaucracy has certainly come in between the EU and an effective vaccine rollout so far. And basically it all means that France, I think in particular, actually are one of the countries that have been struggling the most in the EU with the vaccine, not helped by the fact that their president said some frankly idiotic things about the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, yeah. which is one of the ones that I think people should really be relying upon to, to get their rollouts up and running properly because of how relatively easy it is to store and administer and how cheap it is as well. You know, that's certainly one that seems to be driving our success as much as uh, any other form of vaccine. And so, yeah. Uh, it means that I think I think I was reading actually I think it was the FT had done some projections for when certain countries might have offered a at least one jab to every adult. I think the UK uh, officially the target for the UK I believe is the end of July, but I think mm. that there seems to be some expectation which the government probably won't acknowledge because they seem to be taking the approach for once of under promise and over deliver. Yes. But it seems like we could actually hit that target by like mid May or something. Yeah. There's talks of uh, increasing our speed in, in how many jabs. Yeah. We get out. Cause the speed's been really good so far anyway, but it sounds like over the next week or so, it's suddenly going to really pick up because they're going to, they're expecting big deliveries of um, some of the vaccines that we've already been using, but also I think like the Moderna vaccine, which has helped the US along a lot. We're getting our first batch of that in the next couple of weeks, I believe. I think it was mm. always due for March, so it must be coming up pretty soon, actually. But um, yeah, Boris has been on the on the phone to Chekhov and Scotty and demanded yeah. more speed. <laughs> yes, and so, but yes, with with France, I think that they uh, the FT were projecting they might not well be till like August. And yeah, so they've offered one jab to every adult, so maybe that will give you some idea of when a somewhere like Disneyland Paris would feel comfortable reopening. Yeah, I, I, there's there's clearly also so obviously you've got the uh, the French president coming out and with his statements about the uh, the vaccine, which is ridiculous. Um, you've also got which mm. has been prevalent over here as well, some religious zealots fundamentally um, saying that the vaccines are anti-religious and and whatnot and it seems unfortunately that it's predominantly in more asian communities um and which obviously in, in countries like france and and mo a lot of european countries that the asian communities are sort of abandoned a little bit in some cases so they listen to their religious leaders some more and if you get bad leaders then you have whole sects that will be anti the virus which is obviously a problem do you mean anti the vaccine anti the vaccine yes yeah, sorry <laughs> 
antivirus. <laughs> Hopefully everyone's antivirus, but who knows? <laughs> you would hope there is nobody out there rooting for coronavirus. <laughs> Come on, the virus. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, so uh, hopefully uh, the uptake uh, gets an uptake uh, in in Europe soon. Mm, yeah, so they have not. We should add set a new date. So it was April second, and they have not set a new one, which I think is is sensible. Uh, just to read the rest of their statement here, we are optimistic that we will be able to reopen soon, and we will share updates when possible. Please check back on the website for regular updates. If you have a booking, yada, 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 they're going to be obviously flexible. They'll probably let you shift it or, you know, hold on to it for when they do reopen or just cancel it. And I'm mm. sure you won't incur any fees that you might have done if you were cancelling in normal times. And, yeah, obviously a lot of uncertainty. And um, I'm just reading a post about this news on the Disney Parks subreddit, and we have some insight here from the brilliantly named Deadly Bacon 2. <laughs> Good lad, he says, the situation, the situation is getting worse in France. We obviously take all this with a pinch of salt. Is an anonymous person on a Reddit forum. But anyway, no reason to lie about this in particular. In, uh, situation is getting worse in France. We don't know if we're going to be in lockdown again or not. My girlfriend works at the park and she doesn't know when she's going to work again. Last time she worked was in October. And so, yeah, and he goes on and talks a bit about how slow the vaccine rollout is going and you know, vaccine yeah. scepticism among some people who don't want to get vaccinated. So, yeah, it seems like France could be in for a rough few months still. Yes, very union-heavy in France as well, which obviously causes other issues. Anyway, that's that. Mm. Speaking of Disneyland Paris, of course, at the moment, that's, uh, until now, that was the only place you could find the uh, Ratatouille ride, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. But, of course... It is coming to Epcot, and I think as far as most people understood it, it was pretty much almost ready to go when all the parks closed last spring. I think it was very much anticipated that that ride was not too far away. They were mm. probably probably going to let Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway enjoy some of the limelight for a couple months and then probably have Ratatouille ready to open for summer of 2020. Then all the parks closed, and it was kind of put on the back burner. And now we have an official opening date is going to be the 1st of October, which is mad. It's great news. Oh, yeah, great news. It's a great ride. It's later. If, if people, it's, but it's late. I mean, obviously, they're tying it in with the 50th anniversary. October this year is when the 50th anniversary celebrations start for Disney World. So makes sense from that perspective. But it does seem crazy, doesn't it, that, that you've had a ride pretty much done for a year and a half and it's only going to open in October. I don't know what this means. For me, it's good news, obviously. And for people that haven't had a chance to do that ride in Paris, but are, you know, regulars at the Florida parks, it's something you should absolutely be looking forward to. I think it's great. But, I yeah. did, you know, it did get me thinking about what this might mean for some of the other some of the other rides that have been in construction well, there, it, you know, like Guardians and Tron. Yeah, it's important here. So um, uh, the new restaurant at, in, in the France Pavilion, Le Creperie de Paris, uh, will open on the same day, which obviously when the 18th, 18-month celebration starts for the 50th anniversary of the theme park for the uh, Walt Disney mm -hmm. World. Um, however, Chapek indicated that no other attractions will be opening this calendar year at Disney World, um, which means the Harmonious Nighttime Show right. on the World Showcase Lagoon, uh, the uh, the Stargate, if you will, uh, will have to wait until 2022. 
uh, means uh, Guardians 2022, Tron. Um, I don't know what else is there. Is that it? Hard to keep track of it these days. Off the top, off the top of my head, that's it. Yeah, that's those are the major attractions, right? I mean, what about all the kind of the general redesign of the front of Epcot and that kind of thing? Do they consider that attractions? Uh, that is, that is know, ongoing, that right? Um, like, there's some flags up now that were, that are new. That that's like an ongoing process. That redesign of the of the entranceway. So, mm. hope you'd like to think that'd be predominantly done. Well, at least the entranceway will be done by 2022. It's quite a big project, so we'll have to wait and see. Well, that means I don't know when. Yeah. We didn't have a date or a rough date for the Moana thing either, right? So, I guess um, not. No. And what, what do you think this? speaks to so do you think it's a case of disney just being very very cautious so i mean uh john self pastor john listener uh gets in touch with the show each week and he did say uh, regarding what we were talking about last week which is that disney do seem to be generally speaking a, been a bit more cautious throughout this whole thing than say universal in terms of parks reopening and that kind of thing and he says Disney, it's worth noting, Disney gets way more media coverage than Universal, and so Disney has to be way more careful with safety optics. If they were to open a park and run into problems, it could be a a potential PR nightmare, far more so than it would probably be for Universal, who kind of day-to-day get less coverage. I think that's actually a very good point and makes a lot of sense. So uh, thanks to John for tweeting in uh, to make that point. But obviously Universal are opening Velocicoaster this summer. Do you think... It's kind of what Johnny's saying, and Disney are just being cautious f- for the reasons that he laid out. Or do you think that they are just not as confident as Universal might be about when things might start getting back to normal? Certainly, in terms of welcoming international guests, which obviously these parks rely on in a big way. I mean, Joe Biden's been saying this week that he hopes for relative normalcy by the fourth of July. Independence uh, from the virus, he has said, <laughs> he is hoping to achieve by then. Oh, that seems dear. maybe a little bit optimistic, but the vaccine rollout is going very well there. I, I don't know, though, if international travel into America from other countries is going to be viable by then. I think it would be sensible for uh, Biden and the government to, to kind of keep the travel restrictions in place for a bit longer because it would seem awful to vaccinate your population and do a great job of it and then kind of bugger it up by potentially introducing a, a new variant from elsewhere in the world that might suddenly cause you problems. So I think, to be fair, in terms of Velocicoaster and the timing, I'm not sure that's reflective of Universal anticipating a big surge in visitors at that point. I think they probably just see it as, well, it's ready for then. Let's just get it open. Uh, well, uh, yeah, back to, back to you, uh, the question about what John said. Uh, I, I, I do think that takes some, there is some of that there, but I still I predominantly think it's about money um, and the less staff you have working on things, the cheaper it, cheaper it is uh, to keep your to maintain uh, the operation of the park. So um, by having less uh, construction going on is ultimately cheaper than having everything being built. Certainly for um, a year where there's not going to be that many people turning up, uh, you'd expect that a lot more people will turn up next year. And I think that's potentially one of the reasons why the anniversary is 18 months is so that uh, the people that uh, can go once they're all vaccinated and everything is relatively uh, more back to normal. Mm. Do you think, uh, <laughs> given the news about Epic Universe last week, that that is now back on officially and I, I guess people have started 
projecting a 2025 opening for that, which Universal have not or Comcast have not commented on at this stage. But that's kind of what people are maybe expecting. Mm. Do you think Disney just put, extend the 50th anniversary for as long as it takes to match the <laughs> opening of Epic Universe? <laughs> You get to 2025. Oh, the 50th anniversary is still ongoing. Still on. Back by popular demand. <laughs> um, well, yeah. we've got uh, Epcot's 40th anniversary in there as well, um, which mm. is what obviously all the big all of the big Epcot stuff was meant to be done for then. Yeah. Which I want to say starts next year, but I might be slightly off on that. Um, but I think potentially we could roll straight from Disney World's 50th into straight into Epcot's 40th. Yeah, that sounds feasible, I suppose. And then we'll we'll find another anniversary to do after that one. Just keep them rolling. Well, uh, that news about Ratatouille uh, came from uh, a shareholders meeting with Bob Chapek, and he uh, also in that meeting revealed that Disneyland and Disney California Adventure in California will be looking to reopen on a limited capacity basis by late April. Uh, we spoke last week about how parks in California were finally going to be able to reopen from the 1st of April, albeit with severe capacity limits in place. And we did uh, we did suggest that Disney would probably take a little longer than maybe some of their rivals in the area to reopen, just based on what they've done elsewhere in the world. And I don't think we've heard yet from Universal. And obviously we don't have a set date yet from Disney. But it wouldn't surprise me if Universal again went first here. Uh, with their Hollywood Park and Disney fans have to wait a little bit longer. But still, light at the end of the tunnel at last for Disney California fans. Um, seems like uh, just over a month from now they will be able to go back to the theme park. But no Avengers Campus. That will no. not be opening day in date. That's going to be later in the year. Again, that's something that would have opened getting on for a year ago if this had never happened. But it is what it is. When When do you think Avengers Campus will come online? Um, it's hard to say, right? It's got to be. Uh, it's looking pretty finished for the most part. Uh, some people have uh, taken photos and stuff of it and video of it during the um time where they opened, so you could walk down the down the streets, you know. Um, mm. so I think it's predominantly how how quickly can they get the rides tested, um, and and that sort of stuff. So, so hopefully this yeah. year, but I guess we'll have to see. Um, do they want to take away uh, from the Walt Disney World anniversary uh, is another thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if there would be any benefit to timing it with a big Marvel movie at all. You know, there are a few due for this year. I think Black Widow is obviously due for May, I think, is still hanging on to a May God, release yeah. date. I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed one more time. To That was meant to be out last year, right? That was meant to be out last May, yeah, and then got pushed, I think, to October, November, then got pushed again to May. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets one more push to maybe sort of June, July, but then it'll be running up very close on uh, Shang-Chi, I believe, is coming out in summer as well, sort of July, August time, if I'm not mistaken. And then you've got Eternals, which I believe was due last November and is now, that just got a straight 12-month push, I believe, so that's this November now. And uh, whether or not it would make sense at all to tie the opening of Avengers Campus to any one of those films for a bit of a PR boost, I don't know. But yeah, we'll wait and see. I guess, you know, there's a Spider-Man ride coming. Maybe those jumping spiders that they're so concerned about in Swanscombe, they could just get relocated to the... Uh, they could live in the queue for the Spider-Man Web Slingers adventure. There you go. Or something like that. 
There you go. Sorted. Two the spiders, perfect marriage one stone. of Exactly. The perfect marriage of uh, conservation and theme park design. <laughs> I'm sure the bug uh, life final... guy will be very excited that it's going to a fun fair. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh gosh, do you think he do you think he views Disney World as a, as a fun fair? I oh, he absolutely does. Hundred percent. Right, final slice of Disney news: uh, an expansion, I suppose you could describe it, of the Magic Band service. Then introducing the Magic Mobile service at Walt Disney World, which means you'll basically be able to replicate the functionality of a Magic Band using your uh, using the Wallet app on your iPhone and your Apple Watch. I don't think there's any word on this coming to Android at the moment, but yeah, uh, no. this makes perfect sense. I'm surprised it hasn't been a thing uh, already, I suppose. I think the only real benefit to Disney for not having introduced this so far is that people are less likely to spend money on Magic Bands if they can just get the functionality through their phone, but yeah, it's yeah, going to work I, exactly I, as you would expect it to, I suppose. And I, We should say um, there's this comparison being put here with the magic band but it's the it's the magic band it fundamentally works the same way as your disney world ticket does it's just in a mm. in your in a band on your wrist rather than in a card and that's how this magic mobile service is going to work you know it's like contactless or apple pay it's instead of using your credit card you can just use your phone to pay for things and it's going to be the same thing here with your ticket you'll get your uh, card which is your Disney World ticket, and you can using the app load it into your Disney uh, your Apple Wallet and tap into the park with your phone. Yeah, what I'm going to be interested to know is that obviously this kind of functionality, there are kind of different uses of it. So, for example, using Apple Pay on your phone, there are going to be instances where you have to unlock the phone, or you know you double tap the power button or the side button on your iPhone. And you have to, you know, if you've got Face ID, then when you're looking at it, it will know that's kind of it verifying that you want to use the debit or credit card that you've got set as your default. And then once that's done, you hold it up to you know, the card reader and pay in that way. But there are also instances where you can set it to just, yeah, if I hold this phone over this payment thing, just do it. Like, I don't need to press the buttons. I don't need to verify it. You can just go ahead and that's... the. Uh, the most obvious example of that here, at least, is on like the tube in London. Yes, you don't have to unlock your effectively unlock your phone every time you want to pay to just tap through at train stations. You just hold the phone over the card reader, and it will automatically ping and pay. I'd be interested to know if the Magic Band works like that as well. Like if you're holding your phone over a Magic Band reader, it obviously can guess from that that you want to ping your magic band card it doesn't need you to unlock your phone and all that stuff to do it or will it require you to do that i don't know yeah it's interesting um obviously like um oyster over here on the tube uh you'll be able to load, load the card onto your apple watch as well um mm. which is cool um means you don't have to get your phone out at all which is great maybe you don't even have to carry your phone around uh if you have one of the like fancier apple maybe. watches that have 4g in it don't need your phone I don't. I don't. My network provider does not offer the what are they e sims for e-sims, Apple Watch. Yeah. So yeah, I've I've always said like I would re- that to me. You know, they bring out a new Apple Watch every year, and they're fairly minor upgrades, especially for me coming from a. I'm on a four. Mm. For me, the big upgrade 
the big reason to upgrade my Apple Watch would be when my network provider offers support for them. And I just feel like if they haven't done it by now, are they ever going to do it? I don't know. Maybe not. So maybe mm. it's just I'm going to have to move. I, w- I would really like a network-enabled watch. So maybe it's I just really need to handy. shift provider. Yeah, it's just I'm, I've got a really good deal and it's way more expensive to move... <laughs> Uh, to move over to someone that offers the uh, eSIM as well. So it's, it's, there's just only it's don't know e or Vodafone, it. right? That's the only two. I think uh, I want. It, I think O2 might do it. Oh as yeah, well, actually, it might be here. it might be EE and O2, and that's it. Which is, definitely which was why EE. I, I kind of want because the network provider I use um, essentially uses O2's network. Which yeah. is why I was, I kind of always assumed, like, oh, of course, you know, they'll bring Apple Watch support to this eventually because it's essentially using O2's network, but clearly not at the moment. I think there's some sort of contractual thing going on there. It must be. It's some contract yeah. with Apple or whatever. Yeah, uh, it's really cool. Uh, I often, like, when I'm out running, I will leave, I won't take my phone with me. Um, and if I have a, you know, I've had sometimes in the past, I've had to pull up. Because I've had an injury um, and I've just phoned someone to come and get me, come and pick me up from my watch rather than uh, having like to Buzz hobble. Like Buzz Lightyear. Like Buzz Lightyear instead of having to hobble home like Woody. <laughs> Is there any appeal at all uh, to like almost like attaching your own little um, flip cover to your Apple Watch just so <laughs> when you're in those kind of situations you can just flip it open? It'd just make it feel way more dramatic when you then talk into the watch. Oh, uh, Maybe. Uh, I have to, Star I have to, Command, this is Star Command. I've done probably, my hamstring again. Probably, Come and help. Someone's got to have made that, right? Yeah, what, like, yeah, like a screen protector for the watch that sort of has a hinge. Yeah. That you can you can uh, dramatically flip open by flipping yeah. your wrist. <laughs> Apple, <know>. call me. <laughs> One thing I, I mean, will look, say about they, this They're time. clearly open to stupid ideas because... I when I got my iMac, I purposely paid more to get the trackpad when I found out about that stupid Magic Mouse charging port being on the bottom of the mouse. Oh god, yeah. So when you want to charge the mouse, you can't use the mouse. That's like, really the trackpad That's so is, dumb. Is, the trackpad's nice, and I, you know I'm used to using it, and it's cool. But I would pre- prefer a mouse, I think overall. And yet the 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 most worthwhile feature of the Magic uh, whatever uh, trackpad is that the charging port is actually in a sensible place so you could still use it while it's charging <laughs> it's really dumb yeah god I'm surprised they don't sell sell that it's like a bullet point feature when you're considering buying a trackpad for your Mac they're like and the conveniently placed charging port means you can use it while it's plugged in whoa <laughs> I would not get I mean that is I mean look they 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 having no phone charger in the box is now considered a kind of bullet point, right? So a conveniently placed charging port, sure, that's not beyond the realms of possibility that that yeah. starts getting used as a selling point as well. Um, back on back on the uh, topic at hand, the interesting yeah. thing to see is, uh, so if, you were, if you're a hotel guest, you can pay using your band or your, your card and charge stuff to the room, or charge ah, right. stuff to the credit card that's on the card. Um, whereas, mm. so it'll be interesting to see how that payment process works in the parks yeah. with this, whether that yeah. be possible or not. Also, Is it smart enough. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go on. Uh, yeah, just the question of whether like the payment 
points in the parks are smart enough to know if you hold your phone over this, will it activate your magic band equivalent and charge to your room or will it activate your debit card and charge to your bank account? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like, there be something you have to do there to manually choose every time. In in my in our scenario where we don't stay on site, will it get mm. confused and try and charge it to the card, even though we've got no oh. nothing connected? These are the big questions that need to be answered. Yes, if you're the, in a the, journalist here, Josh. The questions that don't need to be answered are like, oh, uh, why, why not, why this, why not magic burns? Magic burns so better. You can still buy a magic band. Feel free to buy a magic band. Um, Josh, am I to take from this that people are mad online? People are mad online once again, Tom. We cross now to our internet outrage correspondent, Josh. Josh, why are people mad? Oh, because they haven't read the article, naturally. They only read the headline. They only read the headline. Ah, I don't believe you. So this one guy is like, how does this work with our kids who don't have phones? In the past, each guest taps their magic band at the gate and for fast passes. Will I now be able to enter the entire family just with my phone? Otherwise, you're just adding complexity and issues to the process, not simplifying. What? what? Like, you could, you could still use magic bands. Like, nothing's changing. You can still use mm. the physical card that they give you as your ticket. You can still use the magic band that you connect to your, phone, to your uh, ticket. Uh, or you can use this new thing. Because generally, yeah. there's a lot of people that don't like wearing both a watch and a magic band because they're that way inclined. It's fair enough. Yeah. This way, yeah. Disney can sell magic bands to people that like magic bands, but also sell Apple Watch straps to people that want to wear their Apple Watch. I didn't know. Did Disney do Apple Watch straps? I didn't know that. I mean, they will do now. <laughs> well, yes. Oh, that's uh, yeah. Disney will absolutely not want to this is not this is not because disney want to stop selling you magic bands they will no. absolutely happily still sell you a magic band the some people buy magic, magic bands, bands just cause right like like people buy magic bands not even for the function of the magic band just because they think they look cool so yeah and they'll buy limited edition ones just to have in their collection and never yeah. use um yeah they're not going to get rid of them disney have stopped giving them out to hotel guests um, oh right! You used to get them for free, and now now that you don't, um, uh, you'll have to buy them if you want them. But it's like mm. uh, we went when we went in twenty nineteen. My family, uh, so we had uh, let's see one two three four five six. Seven. We had seven cards because there was there was eight of us, but one of the kids was too young to get an actual ticket. Seven cards that my dad was holding, and we'd scan every single one as everyone went through and. As we went through fast passes, everyone would, all the cards would come out and get scanned, which is still an absolute faff. And but it's like, my dad was like, "Well, I'm not spending thirty quid on a magic band for these kids that aren't, aren't going to appreciate it." So if you don't want to buy a ticket, a, a a magic band, you don't have to. You can now use an Apple Watch if you want, or you can neither, use neither. Just use the ticket that they give you. Yeah, right. Uh, final news item and uh, just a kind of public service announcement because we talked about the opening of super nintendo world a few weeks ago it turns out that was not the official opening the official official grand opening is on march the 18th so i think until then it had been a case of like influencers annual pass holders that kind of thing those kind of people were allowed in i think it was also very very limited capacity so yeah it's just opening a bit more widely and a bit more officially 
on March the 18th. This is obviously at Universal Studios Japan. This is not a surprise announcement of <laughs> Universal Studios Hollywood. Uh, well, we're reopening at last and and Super Nintendo World is in fact ready to go. Yes, that is good. So that there you go. Yeah, news. good news. I'm looking um, forward to seeing more coverage that isn't like... There's something about, you know, influencer coverage of things where... I, the over-enthusiasm for everything I find kind of tedious and, and tiring and seeing some maybe slightly more genuine uh, reactions to things I, I would find I would I get more value from personally. So I'm maybe looking forward to watching some slightly more measured, muted coverage of the Nintendo world than what we've had mm. so far. Yeah, for sure. But um, when, of course, we'll be able to go to Japan and other foreigners, uh, who, who could say? Who, I've got no idea. Uh, Seems to uh, me like... Post-Olympics at the earliest is going to be when they start letting people in. Yeah, that seems reasonable. But I guess for the UK listeners at least, one final thing from me, uh, with obviously the UK parks opening back up in this year in about sort of the... F- about April, four weeks. About four weeks, April, May time. Uh, Black Mirror April Labyrinth. 12th. Black Mirror Labyrinth is coming back when Thorpe Park opens. Ah. Uh, or is opening. It hasn't opened yet. And actually, uh, Pastor John... Uh, tweeted at us about this obsession with uh, mazes and labyrinths that the UK has. Um, and I think it's just this traditional thing where hedge mazes have always been quite this cool concept of quite impressive uh, thing to build a hedge maze. And with that, you get this sort of uh, potentially spooky nature or surprising nature of you never know what's around the corner. Um, and I think that's how this works very well with the Black Mirror concept as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the Black Mirror Labyrinth is. And obviously we've loved uh, scary mazes like uh, Fright Night or um, Halloween Horror Nights in the US. Uh, we've we've enjoyed them for quite a number of years. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that there is a, there's a window here in the UK when outdoor attractions and outdoor hospitality opens, but indoor stuff does not. There's going to be about, if all goes well, if we hit all the targets, there's going to be about five weeks where... You can go out for dinner if you're sitting outdoors. You can go to a theme park, but you can't go to cinema, that kind of thing. So mm. I think that might actually be quite a nice boost. You might end up with people, for the, for the theme park industry specifically, you might get people who theme park might not have been top of their list norm, in normal times for a day out, but when the, the options are more limited and theme parks might suddenly move far, higher up that list for them. Yeah, for sure. And so we'll, we'll wait and see. We've, all things going well, theme parks will be able to reopen from the 12th of april i don't think there's been any official official we are definitely reopening on the 12th of april word from any one theme park just yet but i think legoland windsor we spoke about a week or two ago they have indicated that yeah they're going to aim for that we'll wait and see what the other parks do but yeah i'm looking forward to if the weather holds up as well as weather should be getting quite a weather last april was lovely i seem to remember so hopefully uh, we can hit up some of those parks next month yeah, that'd be really great. That'd be really great. Uh, if maybe we get some UK parks in early doors in the year and maybe uh, Europe gets better and we can hit some uh, European parks up later in the year. Oh, don't tease me. Oh. Anyway, nice to end on a positive note. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, would you, would you like to do the sign-off again this week? No, I'll let you do it this week, Tom. Uh, I'm sure okay. you've felt like you've we'll been missing s- out. Sign-off tennis. We'll, we'll take it in turns oh, here. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with the show as John did, you can tweet us at Parkrush Podcast or email us podcast at parkrush.com. Podcast at, uh, hang on, I've got this wrong. Gosh, it's been, a, I've had two weeks off doing this, you see, and I've forgotten <laughs> how you do it. 
Gets podcast you. at parkrush.com is the email address. Parkrush.com is where you can just find the podcast. You can, of course, also find it on your preferred podcasting app. We don't really do Twitch anymore, so I'm not going to mention that. Josh twitches by himself now. <laughs> it's not a euphemism. <laughs> uh, but the podcast itself will, of course, be back next week, hopefully with more positive news. I feel like, by and large, it's been a positive week for theme park. Yeah, we're getting there. So we're getting there, absolutely. And, of course, next week, as we mentioned earlier, will be the or pretty much one-year anniversary of podcasting from home, so uh, or podcasting remotely. So, yeah, unthinkable, but we've done it. We've done Continue it. to stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, hope you, like Josh and I, get your jabs, uh, if not already, pretty damn soon here. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Take it easy. Goodbye. Goodbye.